Well, a little bit about Dr. Joseph Cullen. He's a naturopathic physician licensed in the state of Washington. He's always specialized or focused in functional endocrinology or cellular signaling, which is how cells listen and respond to one another, and he'll go into more detail about that this evening. He's the author of, as I mentioned, Discover Your Menopause Type, first published in 2000 and then republished in 2002. Dr. Collins, thanks for being here tonight. Fine to be with you. Thank you, Doctor. Well, listen, as I mentioned, um, I'm really glad to have you here. I think that uh, menopause and, and, and certainly hormone replacement therapy, you know, is it safe, is it not safe to go back and forth? And um, I really, by the way, loved your book. I always like health books, doctors who write books, who present the material uh, that's sometimes complicated, but they present it in bite-sized information in a way that people can, can, can understand it and apply it. And the other thing, Dr. Collins, I really enjoyed about your book is how you uh, you don't, it, there's no one size fits all for everybody. I really like this whole right. of how you've individualized these menopause types, which we'll, we'll be talking you know, more about uh, tonight. But listen, I, I mentioned uh, this thing about what, what is functional endocrinology? What is that? Well, functional endocrinology is, is basically looking beyond just the hormone levels and some of the classic way that hormones are looked at. I mean, a person can have normal hormone levels and still the hormones aren't functioning properly. So it's looking beyond the lab test and looking back at the patient again. Are your hormones function properly? If the hormones don't function properly, then no matter what the lab tests say, we need to listen more to what the patient's telling us and try and understand how we can fix that. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't always mean we give more hormones, right. but it means that we quit, you know, we, we listen more to the cells, you know, how the person's function properly. This all goes back to um, that, that phrase you and I talk about, self-signaling. The hormone is basically just a message. Yeah. It goes to the cell and says, do this. Right. You know, make a neurotransmitter so my mind is sharper. Make some collagen so my skin looks better and my bones are thicker, you know. Yeah. And if the cell signal's not working properly, um, then that's what you're looking at. Instead of, you know, keep adding more hormones and more hormones, and then if the hormones don't work, throwing the patient on antidepressants, that's not what the body needs. The body needs help listening and one of the things I teach my patients is when you talk about hormones it's not just the levels, it's the listening of the hormones and that's what function in the chronology is is, is paying attention to um, cellular signaling and, and how your tissue responds to hormones maybe your tissues need help listening better so, it, you know, basically like they to, do yeah. I like to say this that you know I I, uh, I treat people not diagnostic codes I treat people on illnesses and the same thing about lab tests. I mean, um, you and I have had this conversation before that lab tests are often inaccurate. And uh, so what you're what you're saying with this functional theory technology is that you're treating the patient and not and not this this lab test. Absolutely. You know, it's like um, I mean, my patients. The word diagnosis literally means complete knowledge. Yeah. It doesn't mean lab test. You know, so yeah. you don't get the complete knowledge until you listen to the patients. And the patient's entire history, they bring the entire history, you know, to us and we're talking with them and that, that impacts how we interpret. You know, the lab is one piece of data, but function the chronology is, is in other words, the function is, you know, are things working, you know? Are your hormones working for you? If not, we can make them so your, your hormones do work better for you so you can have high quality of life so you become a functional and you can do the things you want to do. 
So this, this cell signaling that you're talking about, it's obviously a big part of what you do. You're looking at behind the scenes, trying to make the body work better to, to be able to make the hormones, the hormonal system be optimal. How does this change what you do with hormone therapies or how, how does that affect it? Well, I think it's totally changed how a lot of us, you know, practice like ourselves, integrative practitioners, look at hormone replacement therapy. You know, in the old days, which was not too long ago, <laughs> let's be honest, a woman walks into a doctor's office with a certain, she's a certain age and mentions one or two symptoms and all of a sudden, boom, she's put on BHRT. So BHRT was at the front of the system. I mean, let's just kind of, you know, you know, like a rotating doorbell in some cases. It was really quite tragic. We didn't know as much as we know now. Now we realize, and now, you know, practitioners like yourself and myself and other uh, colleagues around the country, we look at, first of all, lifestyle. Are you taking care of the basic foundations of your life? You know, sleep, exercise, rest, hydration, illumination. I mean, a big thing is if you're dehydrated and you're constipated, you know, the hormones aren't going to help because you're toxic and dehydrated. You know, it, it's, it's not the way that works. And then we look at fatty acids. I mean, the other day I had a patient walk into the office and she, she said to me, she goes, Ever since my second child, I've had asthma and eczema. You know, and she goes, what does that mean? I said, well, it's pretty classic, actually, because it, when you have a baby, you were designed to give your essential fatty acids to that baby for its brain development, speech development. So she became essential fatty acid deficient. And that's what we're dealing with. So uh, when a woman comes into our lives to consult, we will look at the whole thing. Okay, you know, how many children have you had? Do you have these symptoms that give hints that you need more EPA, DHA, the fish oils. Um, you know what I'm saying? So this is stuff we do. Then, of course, the multivitamins. vitamins. Um, the reality is, after a certain point of eating a standard American diet, there's so many possibilities of vitamin or mineral deficiencies or both that we can save the patients a lot of time and suffering by just getting them on a high-grade multivitamin from the beginning. And see, we haven't even talked about BHRT yet. And already we start those things and people come back saying they feel a lot better, they sleep a lot better with just those couple things. But the next big part is look at appropriate herbal therapies. One of the mistakes that um, I saw happening in the natural health industry years ago was, well, let's go back a minute. When a woman first was diagnosed with menopause years before, she would be put on a combination of, as you know, the horse estrogens, you know, equine estrogens, and synthetic progestogens, a common brand name is Prempro. But that's basically, you know, horse urine plus synthetic progestogens that do not occur in nature with the Prempro. But what I saw in the natural industry was herbal formulations that basically had every, every herb you could think of shoved into one pill. You know, like this one-size-fits-all mentality. I call them herbal Prempro. <laughs> um, you know, and I think you and I, we talked about that. We talked about how people try to, you know, they, they, even in natural medicine, we need to make sure that we don't try to do one size fits all. Right, right. So one of the things I start to do is recognize, okay, well, this woman doesn't need all of the, you know, all, all these herbs. She just needs the ones to help with the estrogen or progesterone or testosterone or certain combinations. So proper herbal therapy is important. Some of those one size fits all herbal therapies were actually counterproductive because a lot of them, even on the market today, have herbs that will actually decrease testosterone function. Right. And when you have, you know, 30% of women that have low testosterone, then that's the last combination they need. Right. So they just wind up being depressed. You know, the hot flashes go away, but then they're depressed. Yeah. And they have no libido. Right. So that should be part of it. 
And then, of course, the next step is precursors. See, and then, only after that can we talk about maybe consider BHRT. So bioidentical hormone replacement therapy is now considered a very good choice, but it's not the first thing you should do because if we don't take care of the foundations and first things first, so to speak, then BHRT is going to be more difficult. Now, when and you, uh, when we get to that point, we have amazing results. Joe, when you say BHRT, you're, you're, you're talking about bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. Bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, that, that is the new standard of health care that's rapidly emerging. I mean, you know, I, I use compounding pharmacists, and I know that clinicians around the world, you know, we depend upon good compounding pharmacists. Um, you know, and to be fair, many of the pharmaceutical companies, they're now starting to put out, you know, even prescription hormones that have bioidentical hormones in them. If you look at the fine print, it's actually estradiol, right. the exact same molecule it has in the body. Right. You know, years ago, it was conjugated equine estrogens, which is, you know, horse urine estrogens. Um, right. That's not natural for the human body, you know. So BHRT is rapidly becoming, you know, um, the most um, desired form of hormone replacement therapy. But BHRT also means customized dosing. It, you know, the one-size-fits-all um, doesn't just apply to which hormones you choose, but what dosage is. It's a tremendous variation of dose, sometimes a tenfold dosage difference of what a woman may need. Some may need, you know, 0 0.25 of a hormone, like estradiol, testosterone, and another one may need 2.5, ten times as much. But now That's what customized hormones are. Right. Now, but with your, you know, with your, with your program, I think what you're saying, though, even before you get to that point of bioidentical hormone placement therapy, which is, you know, a combination of the right kind of estrogen that the body would make and progesterone, so it's very natural in that sense. But there's a lot of steps that you recommend patients take beforehand because they. They may, it's just that their body is not signaling to make these hormones or to, to have an optimization of what the body needs to be doing to be healthy. So even though bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, and I think you know, you'll, you'll talk more about this, is certainly got a lot of benefits. It's also, we, we don't know, but you know, certainly uh, could have some, some dangerous side effects. Long term, we, we don't know of all the hormone replacement therapy prescriptions. Bioidentical is certainly the safest, but um, you know, in your book and your approach, it's really laying that foundation and lasering in on lifestyle changes before you even do that. Is that right? Absolutely. You know, and, and um, you know, like you said, any hormone that's well, the reality is, you know, like you said, even VHRT could have a side effects, but the side effects are going to be if you put it in a body that's not ready for it. Like for instance, a woman has estradiol her whole life and the levels get low, we may want to give her a little bit more. Right. But if we give her some more, she needs to have a lifestyle, and that includes dietary habits, in which she eats the foods that prevent estrogen from becoming toxic. Yeah. The cabbage, the cauliflower, the broccoli, the Brussels sprout, flaxseed, or soy, or salmon, you know, fish oils. Right. You know, right. I, I, I always tell women, you know, the estrogen, you know, estrogen that can cause cancer is the tissue's response to the estrogen that causes cancer. You don't see 20-year-old girls all walking around with cancer. You see people that have, you know, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of age who have been exposed to environmental toxins, uh, um, poor foods in this country, you know, their estrogens, their bodies can't handle the estrogens that 20, you know, years ago, it didn't bother the body because they were eating different foods, you know. Right. So um, this would be part of it. 
you know, the foundation of lifestyle, diet, nutrition before BHRT is critical for making BHRT safe. Um, one of the most interesting observations I've had is people that have come to me that have already been on BHRT and they still feel miserable and, and, the, and the other person, the other dog mm. can't figure what to do so they come to me and I wind up, you know, going back to basics. I say, well, you know, you're on BHRT but they forgot to build the foundation <laughs> underneath it, you know? So we go back and talk about diet and fatty acids and vitamins and stuff and then the BHRT works. Because one of the biggest problems with, with biodegrade HRT that, that we've seen in the past decade and a half is women that are on it that said it's not working. You know, they're, they're on BHRT, they think, oh, this is going to be wonderful. I heard this on Oprah, I read this book by so-and-so, and, and it doesn't work. And they're all set. The doctor doesn't know what they're doing, the pharmacist makes it wrong. And I say to the patient, well, the reality is those are very appropriate dosages for your size and weight and your history. What's happening is your body is not listened to them properly, so let's go back and fix with that. Just when we start to begin, then all of a sudden the doses that didn't work works perfectly because we had to shore it up with a proper foundation. So BHRT is is um, is only effective when it's built upon a proper foundation. In your practice, what do you see? I mean, what are the common complaints that you see with your patients, either in perimenopause? Are going through menopause. I mean, you know, the common ones are hot flashes and vaginal dryness and low libido. But I mean, really, there's a, whole, there's, a there's a real wide gamut that that oftentimes can almost be kind of nebulous. There's just so many symptoms that can kind of fall under that. What are the common symptoms that someone with perimenopause or, or menopause would have? Well, the one you, you hit it right in the head. The most common ones that that we think about are the hot flashes, the night sweats, the vaginal dryness, and and many times they disturb sleep because of those things. But other things that people don't recognize uh, from the hormones as well are like, for instance, they'll have more allergies. You know, like on my, in my book, one of the questions I have is, are you having more allergies and eczema? Hmm. Because the hormones balance the immune system. Yeah. And when the immune system becomes unbalanced, all of a sudden you want it with more allergies and inflammation. So you have women that have their whole life they never had an asthma attack, all of a sudden they have an asthma attack. Mm. And they're going, what is going on here? How do they catch asthma at 50 years of age? Yeah. Well, because your hormones are keeping the immune system healthy. And all of a sudden, they're reacting to, to things in their house and their pets and stuff. So that's one of the most puzzling symptoms that, that women are, were confused about. A lot of, like, sinusitis. All of a sudden, they, all these chronic sinus infections. Well, that's two things. A number of things, actually. Number one, the immune system's unstable, so they're getting more infections in the sinuses and more allergies. <laughs> and then also, the estrogen's low. So the mucous membranes are dry. Yeah. You know, when, when, when estradiol levels are low in a woman, or when estradiol is not functioning, as I should say, it isn't just vaginal dryness. It's dryness of the, of the eyes. That's why all of a sudden they're marketing eye drops to women of this age. Well, estradiol can help increase eye, eye you know, mucous membrane um, tissue, um, uh, moisture. So they have vaginal dryness, they have dry eyes, they have dry sinuses. You know, they constipated and on and on and on. So these are things that people don't relate to menopause, so they go and they put themselves on these, you know, prescription eye drops when they should even, you know, use an herbal therapy or even like Don Kwai, one of the herbs I use, it's inside one of the formulation I designed, Don Kwai increases um, uh, moisture of the tissues. So that's another, that's one of those strange things that people don't understand. Of course, cognitive functional uh, memory thinking this type of stuff and you also have the reverse though too because sometimes people think they're low in estrogen 
uh, and they, you know, oftentimes are doing perimenopause. But also, you can, you know, you can have an imbalance and you have excess estrogen, which can cause some problems too. I mean, it can affect your thyroid adversely. So, you know, it's it's uh, part of it is getting the right mix, right? How does get the right mix? You know, when you know a woman has, you know, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone all at a nice level when she's premenopausal. Then all of a sudden, the progesterone levels can just drop out or the testosterone, or both of them. So all of a sudden, instead of the progesterone and testosterone, keeping things in balance, then they no longer did to keep a check on estrogen. So all of a sudden, the stimulating properties of estrogen aren't being controlled by progesterone, and a woman feels like she has too much estrogen. Well, it, it, it's, it's because her progesterone levels are bombed out. Now, I know that we want this big fad in this country about progesterone, and and all that type of stuff. But the reality is some women do have it. Like catch women, they need progesterone. Yeah. Not everyone does, though. Yeah. Not everyone yeah. needs estrogen. Not everyone needs progesterone. Right. You know? And then at the same time, we see some women that their testosterone levels become extremely low. So all of a sudden they have decreased, uh, not just decreased libido, but one of the signs of low testosterone in either, in either gender, either men or women, is the inability to, to do um, the thought process, step-by-step process. So, um, For those of you just joining us on the phone call, if you'd be kind enough to hit star six, that'll self-correct yourself and cut any some of the background noise. Um, yeah. Just hit star six, and then that way we can be more clear on our conversation. I appreciate that. Okay, sorry, yeah. Dr. Collins, go ahead. You were talking, you kind of... That's okay, yeah, I know someone has some noise in the background that needs to push star six so we can um, hear this better. You're right. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, One so more. Tell me, about, <laughs> tell me about the different types, because I think um, I think that that's crucial that people recognize, you know, again, there's no one-size-fits-all. Right. I mean, estrogen is very important, and it gives you drive, zip, ambition, energy. It can be a pain blocker. But then again, if you've got too much, then it can cause insomnia. It can bottom out your thyroid. It can, you know, it can do all this. Right. Progesterone, uh, if it's low, you certainly can have you know, problems with anxiety and, and other problems. And then if it's, if it's too high, you can be depressed. So how do you... Exactly. So it's, it's, there's a very narrow range for each of these hormones. And when I talk about the menopause types, it's recognizing that, you know, you could have normal estrogen and progesterone, or you could have low estrogen or low progesterone, or they both could be low. Mm-hmm. So you have a few possibilities there. Yeah. And then on top of that, you can look at the testosterone. Testosterone can be normal or low or high. Yeah. And see, that's what puzzles some people. you got to remember, years ago, they didn't even talk about testosterone in women. Uh, never, never. Yeah. You know, now we know that women can only be deficient of testosterone, but we also realize that you know, about 8 to 12% of women have androgen excess. They have too much testosterone. Yeah. And we see this in the young patients, it's polycystic ovary syndrome. But that high testosterone, it may sound like a fun thing to have, but the problem is that can cause insulin resistance, increased cancer risk, increased heart disease, as well as some of the cosmetic problems like, you know, increased facial hair and um, acne and this type of stuff, you know, and abdominal obesity. So a real critical, one of the big things about change in healthcare is, women's healthcare is not rubber stamping them all, menopause as if it's a single entity. You know, like you said, it's not a disease, it's a natural transition. What is the body telling us? Which imbalance is showing itself? And then go after that imbalance for that woman. 
what her special needs are, not the one-size-fits-all. So break down the, the four different types that you have here in the next uh, little bit of time we have before we take questions. What are the four types, right? There's four types? There's 12 major types with the four, but four different categories of estrogen and progesterone. Uh, estrogen and progesterone, there's four major types of those. Mm -hmm. They could both be normal. Mm -hmm. You can have low estradiol, all of a sudden it drops out, and that makes you feel like you have high progesterone. Or you could have low progesterone, the progesterone just bombs out, and all of a sudden the estrogen feels real high. Or you could have both low estrogen and progesterone, so the person just really feels depleted. So when you read in the book, you notice that I talk about the four um, estrogen progesterone major types. And then on top of those four types, you could have a normal testosterone or a low testosterone or a um, high testosterone. So there's the three different possibilities of testosterone. So with the four estrogen progesterone pictures and the three testosterone pictures, there's 12 major types of menopause women can have. So like if a woman, a woman could be like type 11, she has low estrogen, low progesterone, and low testosterone. I mean, even without, without knowing anything else, anyone would know that you would treat her differently than you would treat someone that just had, you know, like type 9, which is low progesterone and high testosterone. You know, it does, it, it, it makes so much sense. It's like, why didn't we see this earlier? Why did we, you know, all of a sudden treat every woman the same? But when you take a moment, look at the symptoms, do the symptom survey, and let it tell us, wow, to be quite honest, you mostly have testosterone deficiency symptoms. I mean, women come through and they have very few estrogen deficiency symptoms. They don't need estrogen as much as we thought they did 15 years ago. But they have, like, no testosterone. You don't be messing with that woman's estrogen. You give her testosterone, her quality of life comes back, bone density, her mental processes, everything was because her body lost the ability to make testosterone. And, you know, like they say, if it ain't broken, don't fix it. You know what I'm saying? If her estrogen is not the problem, leave it alone. But the problem is we were taking these women that had low testosterone and we were throwing estrogen at them and synthetic progesterones and high estrogen and progesterone even knocked down testosterone further. So these women really have, like, you know, what little testosterone they may have had is now being blocked by the high doses of, you know, estrogen and progesterone, progestogens they're giving them, then they wind up with depression. So what's the number one class of drugs prescribed in America now to that age group? Sure, the SSRI. Exactly. You know, it's kind of like, hey, they created themselves this whole new market by mistake. I hope it was by mistake, you know. It's <laughs> like taking these poor women. Tell me, you know, give them, so if they wanted to go, yeah, you know, I recommend everybody get the book. You know, they can get yeah. it on Amazon. They can get it from uh, from your site. It's in the bookstore. But but give your website because on your website now they can go on there and they can do the surveys and see what their type is, right? Right. The question that's in the book, you can go to your menopause type. You know, menopause type. dot com, and you can take the questionnaire. And when you take the questionnaire. It basically asks you like 50 clusters of questions, 50 groups of questions, and don't talk yourself out of them. Just answer yes if you say yes to any part of those questions. It goes quick. Trust me, it's a quick, it's a good little survey. It's quick. I got quick survey, and at the end it will say to you, based upon this, you have menopause type, you know, five, seven, eight, twelve, whatever you have, and these are the problems that are common with this. And when women read this, they go, "My goodness, that's exactly me," mm -hmm. because it's exactly the problems that. The portrait and also shows what, what risks they have. And many times women will say, 
Well, that's the same symptoms that other, my, other people in my family have had or other people with the same menopause type will have. So it's a real quick way of getting the, the menopause type. Now, on the, on the website, you can also download the questionnaire in paper form. And I recommend, um, you know, patients do that before they, you know, see a doctor because that way they can bring inside the question and you can actually see which questions they checked off. Mm -hmm. And then you can sit down and you can keep track of those. Right. It's not uncommon for women to fill out the questionnaire and then she'll take the, the, the basic nutrition like we talked about, lifestyle, vitamins, fatty acids. And then like if she has menopause type, you know, um, 5 that has low estrogen, low testosterone, she'll take the herbal formulations that I, I have for that, the estramend and the test again. And then she'll take the questionnaire a month later and all those symptoms have changed dramatically. I see people have like 70, 80, 90% of symptoms. They come back after a month of the therapy and the symptoms are like 10, 20, 22%. It's just amazing because, you know, all the body wants to do is, is learn how to listen again and you give it the nutrition, the herbal at once and uh, it can make a big change. And the benefit of that is we're not as likely to over-medicate that person with hormones. If she takes care of nutrition first, takes a proper herbal therapy, gets rid of most of those symptoms, then when she says to the doc, you know, I still think I may need a little BHRT, that's what it will be. It will be a little dose and it will work much better because yeah, she's already done 80% of the work. Yeah, I think people are still, uh, you know, they're, they're concerned about all the scare they came out with. You know, for years, for 40 years, I guess, females were told that menopause was a disease and it had to be yeah. treated in the way that you treated it was with Primrin or Primpro. And yeah. we really, you know, and then what we were told was that it stopped bone loss, prevented heart disease. You know, it did, it did all these wonderful things. And then what we found out was, um, you know, it doesn't prevent bone loss. And, in fact, it accelerates, increases your risk of stroke and heart attack. So then right. was a huge backlash of scares where doctors were then telling patients, you know, don't do hormone replacement. And then so we had about a year period, about 12 months. And then... Because then there was such a backlash of people with having symptoms of menopause or perimenopause, and they were going to their doctor desperate for help. Then doctors started backpedaling and saying, well, maybe you could do it for six months. Maybe, you know, your age it's safe to do for a year. And they gave in. Now, fortunately, as you mentioned, now the pharmaceutical industry has gotten into the bioidentical hormone replacement therapy that you can get. Not, it doesn't even have to be compounded now. They're trying to get more like the body, which is a good thing, actually. Um, right. But I think what people need to keep in mind is, again, what, what we've been talking about is that if you don't, number one, if you're going through perimenopause or menopause, you don't have to do hormone replacement therapy. It doesn't increase your lifespan. It doesn't help with, uh, reduce your risk of heart attack or stroke. It actually can can, can cause those things. So there's a lot of things that, that um, if you want to prevent bone loss, uh, weight-bearing exercise and a good diet, uh, green leafy vegetables and the right kind of calcium and vitamin D is certainly more important. So That's exactly it because, you know, the hormones aren't full of vitamin D. They don't have calcium. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't have magnesium. They don't have the vitamins in them. And, you know, people are putting hormones in, in malnourished, toxic bodies and thinking yeah. they do magic. They don't. The body still needs what it needs. You so put hormones we, in a sick body, all you have now is a, is a sick body full of hormones. So before we take questions, if someone came to you uh, in your clinic, as they you know, do on a daily basis, and, and they, 
they, they're coming to you, consulting you for uh, the symptoms associated with menopause. Where, where, would you, where would you start with them? Is that the questionnaire? That's a very good question. Exactly what I do is on the very first visit, I explain to them what we just talked about here about getting the bike to listen more, okay? And I say, you know, we can order lab tests, but before you walk out this door, I do the questionnaire, and the questionnaire says she has you know, like 80% of um, you know, progesterone deficiency symptoms. And I said, before I even start on progesterone, whether even if it's over the counter progesterone, which I, I don't use that, but before you start anything, you know, get you on, go over lifestyle, make sure she's eating regularly so her blood sugar is stable, getting hydrated, make sure she's having bowel movements every day, all the lifestyle stuff from rest to exercise to days off every once in a while. Get on multivitamin, get on fatty acids, and then take the right herbal for her. Now, so if people come to really, you know, nutritionally messed up and toxic, then I'll say, listen, let's just put you on vitamins for a couple of weeks before we even try the herbals because, you know, if they're so bad off, the herbs won't even work. And I've learned this years ago. I've given people herbs and I go, you know, that should have worked. And I say, well, let's put you on vitamins for a couple of weeks. And then they give them the same herbal bottle. All of a sudden, wow, this stuff's amazing. Well, we can change the bottle. We change the body. We change a person's body. Now, so, when you say herbs, I do that. I'm sorry. No. When you say herbals, just so the audience knows, um, you mean um, medicinal herbals, uh, formulas that you've developed that actually are dispensed in pharmacies? Right. The formulas I developed around the country. In my practice, I, 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 I would, like I mentioned, I became disillusioned with the, with the one-size-fits-all herbal therapies. They're no better than the one-size-fits-all herbal uh, hormone therapies. Like I call them herbal pempros. And... Um, and so I start to find out which herbs focus specifically on making estrogen work better without raising one's estrogen. Which ones um, help the brain work better, help the vaginal tissue work better, help with uh, all these things. Which ones are progesterone-like herbs, which ones are testosterone-like herbs, because the woman didn't always need all three of those. So if she came to me and she, and she had like a lot of low testosterone symptoms, I just give her the testogain to raise testosterone levels. Um, the, the 8 to 12 percent that come in with too much testosterone, you give these women testicle crunch and their whole world changes. All of a sudden, you know, they have less aches and pains. I mean, some of them start having normal cycles again, even if they were already missing them in perimenopause. So it's a matter of, you know, individualized herbal therapies. You know, don't give a woman more than what she, she needs as far as herbal therapies. The shotgun is not, the shotgun approach herbal therapy is counterproductive. Yeah. If a woman just needs progestin men to improve her progesterone function, that's great. And all those herbals actually have like adaptogens in them. And adaptogen, as you know, is an herb that helps adrenal gland health. So usually women that have low progesterone have weak adrenal functions that and they, the adrenal glands can't make progesterone. So I use the herbs that strengthen the adrenals and fix the progesterone. The other tests again will 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 strengthen the um, adrenal gland in a different way to make more testosterone, and the estimate strengthens the um, et, um, adrenal gland in such a way to help the body modulate on stress because that's what extra bowel usually doesn't work properly. So all these things are designed specific to the woman, and then I customize the dose. Some women need, you know, one tablet, some two, some three, then even if they need three for a while, they'll eventually have to cut them back down to one or two. So it's, it's really, this is the ultimate in personalized health care. And the most important part is teaching the woman how to do it. So by the end of a few sessions, she pretty much has learned how to take care of herself, and then she can go back 
enjoy life. That's what it's all about. You're not supposed to turn your life with the doctors, you know. Get it fixed, you know. <laughs> yeah, and so for, for those of you listening, uh, you know, I would encourage you just to go to Dr. Collins' website, Neuromenopause Type. Is that right? Yes, sir. Uh, dot, I'm sorry, dot com. And it will have these different herbal formulations that are very, very uh, well thought out, have been used, clinically proven, and used for uh, a number of years. And like I said, the, um, pharmacies around the country and doctors' clinics around the country use these formulas I have for the last uh, few years. And uh, so anyway, you can, we can find out more about those specific preparations on Dr. Collins' site. Now, what I'd like to do, if it's okay with you, Dr. Collins, is um, just take some questions. And uh, what, if we could, for those of you who have questions, if you would, uh, you just hit star six, and that will unmute you so that you can ask a question. But after you ask a question, if you'd be kind enough then to uh, ask your question and then hit star six again, so that you'll mute yourself and we won't get any background noise while Dr. Collins is answering your question. Okay, so uh, first question. If you've got a question, please hit star six and uh, ask away. Dr. Collins. Yes. Yes. Hi, this is Annis Black in Anniston, Alabama. Thank you. Um, I have been, uh, I have taken everything that the OBGYN has prescribed. You started out with the Primarin pill, the patch, the gel, everything, and my hot flashes have never lessened at all. So I called and talked to Dr. Murphy's office, and uh, and I even tried the uh, DHEA, and it intensified <laughs> the hot flashes. So they told me, you know, to quit taking those. But I am now taking the adrenal support and the thyroid support. Um, so I I am I still my hot flashes are still just as bad as ever. So I'll I'll mute out so you can answer me. Okay. Well, the, the first step was, it, it, I'm glad, the first step was what you've done is the adrenal support's important. Hot flashes are because the body's trying to maintain stability. It's trying to be stable, homeostasis, balance, whatever, the, whatever word you want to use. And part of having that homeostasis and balance is, first of all, a healthy adrenal gland that can maintain the course of action there. So that's one of the first courses of action. The other one is, if you've been put on estrogen, Sounds like different estrogen therapies from, from you know, the, the equine estrogens to patches. Now, for, uh, those patches are most likely estradiol because a lot of the patches are now using the same molecule biodynamic estradiol. But as I mentioned earlier, sometimes people come to me even on compounded hormones and they're not working because you need to go back to the real foundations, okay? So you, you're okay that you're taking the herbal therapies, but take a step back and ask yourself about are you eating regular meals, lifestyle, because if, if you don't eat, you know, you know, three meals a day, small meals a day, and then make a little snack in between, so you're basically getting, you know, a few calories every few hours, you know, your blood sugar becomes unstable, the body's under stress, it's bouncing up and down trying to balance your blood sugar, and that bouncing up and down with that causes the hypothalamus and pituitary gland um, you know, up in the up in the up in your brain there to become unstable, and then all of a sudden that becomes a problem. So that's the first step. It's not the only step. Then beyond that, you know, look at are you trying to get proper sleep in a regular cycle? You know, um, get the body in the habit of trying to calm down at the end of each day. Make sure you're hydrated. Make sure you have regular bowel movements every day. 
it's amazing how some of these lifestyle things, it's like, wow, all I did was like, you know, go to bed half hour early and all of a sudden, you know, my heart flies going away, come sleep better, you know. We have things like that because if we don't sleep good, we don't get that deep sleep that our pituitary gland needs to function properly. So the lifestyle is important. I'm sure you're on a good multivitamin. If you're not, get on a real good one. Dr. Murphy can help with that. Get on a good dose of fatty acids. If you've had any children, then you want to be looking at not just one gram of fatty acids a day, but, you know, three grams, even six grams, especially if you have asthma, eczema, or any symptom that you have fatty acid deficient. So it's critical to get high amounts of fatty acids, again, on the foundation. Okay, so you've already got the herbals, you've got the BHRT, and you've got the fatty acids. Give those a period of time, uh, and, and those should work. One thing you may want to do is, um, it sounds like you're going to go to adrenal and thigh formula. Um, vasomotor hot flashes are more like estrogen symptoms. So talk to Dr. Murphy about in some estromend. Estromend is a formulation I use for women who um, have a lot of hot flashes symptoms, and even some women that didn't want BHRT. Remember, in my practice, I had some women that um, had cancer. They didn't want hormone replacement therapy. So I had to find herbs I give them safely, and that's what Estermend was for. Estermend, we're seeing that dramatically stops on hot flashes. I think if you do those things and add that, you'll, um, you'll see the hot flashes will go away. Okay, right? great. And again, um, check out uh, Dr. Collins' website, yourmenopausetype.com, and he'll have his formulas on there. You're certainly welcome to call my office. We can order if we don't have it. I think we have everything on our site, but we may not. Um, but we'll be happy to order that uh, for you as well. But again, check out his site. I certainly encourage you to get his book. You can get that on Amazon.com or go to his website. It's also available. I saw it the other day in, in uh, Barnes & Noble here in Birmingham. Okay, so uh, next question. Anybody else got a question? Hi, I'm Julie Scott. I'm age 50. I've been having hot flashes for quite some time. I have a lot of heart palpitations, though, with my blood okay. pressure going up and down. Um, I can't sleep at night sometimes. I have dryness of the eyes really bad. They turn very red. Um, I get lots of hot flashes. My libido is low. Um, I have been taking, though, um, the CFS fibromyalgia jumpstart package from Dr. Murphy, which I like. Good. and has helped me with my muscles and stuff. Um, I'm also taking an adrenal cortex uh, thing with that and um, uh, natto-nakis to keep my blood thinned. Um, and uh, I just, I've been having some problems, you know, of going things, my blood pressure and stuff going constantly up and down. So I really don't know if this is part of the menopausal thing or if yeah. it is something to do with my heart. Uh, I did go to a um, heart specialist, though, and the heart specialist said my heart was in good shape, and he wasn't really worried about that. They tried to put me on some cholesterol medication and stuff, which oh, I could good. not take that. So good. it's been a complication. Are you taking any cholesterol medication? Pardon me? Are, are you t did you say you're taking the cholesterol medication? Oh, she's smart. She didn't. She said no. Okay, no, okay. I could not take it. I, I was going to go that route. Um, after I read all the information about Dr. Roger Murphy on his website and stuff, I said, that is just not for me. So, And I also bought his book. 
um, heart disease and what your doctor won't tell you, which I've passed right. on to a lot of people, and um, Thank they're you. trying to get off of their heart medications and stuff, Good. weaning themselves, mind you, yeah, not smart, actually smart. taking yeah. them off. Joe, what do you what? think about her symptoms? Um, I mean, that, what do you think about what she just asked? Well, this is, this is, I'm glad you brought that up because that's one thing that, that I like to try and bring up in a conversation with people is that, you know, heart, heart palpitations and heart fluttering is actually a, a relatively common menopause symptom. I mean, you know, we keep talking about hot flashes and night sweats, but, but hot flashes and night sweats are basically vasomotor instability, which is a fancy way of saying blood vessel um, function, you know, they're supposed to be, you know, grow big and grow small real smoothly so you don't feel them, okay? When they, when the heart, when the blood vessels just all of a sudden vasodilate and they get real big and all of a sudden the blood rushes to your face, that's a hot flash, okay? Then they can strip real tight and you get a cold, you get a chill, you know? So the vasomotor instability that we see in the skin and we feel is, is the same mechanism that's causing, you know, heart vasomotor instability. So heart palpitations and, and um, the skip beats, the flutters are actually more common than we think of. Now, each hormone affects the heart differently. One of the most amazing things is that progesterone, of all things, has an action on the heart which is very calming and soothing and, and regulates the beat. The progesterone molecule is actually being compared to digoxin, which is a drug they use to help people with renal heart failure have regular smooth beats with no palpitations. So it's really quite amazing that, you know, when, when, when a woman goes through menopause, we, we shouldn't be surprised. We see heart palpitations happen when your progesterone gets low. So as far as that, the pitch of heart palpitations and those type of things, look at the progesterone, and that would be something like taking like progesterone uh, to help with that. The, um, the hot flashes, the nitrous, those types of things, again, you would look at the, the estrogen type of stuff, okay? And then the, um, the test again is, is um, the one that can help with the libido. You know, um, what would be interesting for you to do, ma'am, is to go on the website and take the questionnaire because you, you mentioned symptoms. Some of them are estrogen, the symptoms that are real significant in, in your life. Some are progesterone, some are testosterone. Now, that's like menopause type 11 where you have all three of the hormones are deficient. Now, not everyone has that. Some women just have one or two of those symptoms. They don't have the, the progesterone symptoms. They just have the estrogen deficiency ones or the testosterone deficiency ones. But it sounds like you may have all three. But um, what I do um, when I'm dealing with someone that looks like they have a real complex fix like this is find out which ones are the most um, distressing or the ones you really worry about the most. And just focus on that because, you know, these hormones, even though they're different, they kind of work together. And all the formulations help with the adrenal glands, which will eventually help all the hormones get balanced. So if your strongest concern is the progesterone, the hot flashes and stuff like that, I mean, the um, heart palpitations, Progestin making can really help with that and calm down the erratic blood pressure stuff. And then that can help the adrenal glands function a little better so the adrenal glands can help with the testosterone type of stuff, you know. So, again, if a woman looks like she needs to she benefit from all three of the formulas, I say, well, let's start with one first. Take the one that's the most concerned, you know, take that for a month, and then, you know, sit down again with Dr. Murphy, do the questionnaire again, and decide, you know, step by step, walk the body back to health until you find out what the right combination is for you. You know, some women do wind up one all three formulas, but they don't need three of each one. So, they need like, uh, you know, one of each one, you know? Yeah, Dr. Collins, so really for 
Julie, the thing to do is just go on your side and take that survey and make yeah, sure she Yeah, exactly. Lay it, will, it, will, it will tell you what you need. And again, if someone, if the, if the, if the computerized um, interpretation says you need all three, that doesn't mean you take, you know, three of each one. You'll take nine tablets a day. Start with one of each, do that for a while. Maybe two of each, and then back down to one again. The body will respond, but again, go back to the foundations, especially with the health palpitations. Make sure you're on a lifestyle where you're not skipping meals, like I said. It's amazing how much I've seen that make a difference in, in, in perimenopause. Three meals a day with three nice snacks in between, a lot of help. And, of course, the high-dose fatty acids are very critical as well. Yeah. I mean, See, um, some I of those... Okay. I eat regular meals and stuff. Um, yeah. Like in the morning, I always eat my oatmeal. Um, in the afternoon, I'll have a sandwich or, you know, P&J sandwich, something like that, something very small, but not heavy. For, I mean, you know, right. not heavy food. I don't eat any pork. I don't eat any dairy. I'm allergic to both of them. Um, so it's like, you know, I'm kind of limited on a lot of different things that I do eat. I cook everything from scratch. I don't buy any canned foods or box foods or anything like that, so I avoid okay, good. all those. Okay, so you're taking care of the foundation. So the next step is look at the fatty acids. Are you, how much fish oil are you taking? How much what? Fish oil. Um, I take uh, the two capsules a day. I think it's a 1,000 milligrams. Okay, so that should be enough. If you've been taking that for a while, you know, I mean, take a little more if you feel like you have any uh, deficiency symptoms of Dr. Murphy go over there with you, like, you know, asthma, eczema. So the next step may be to, to choose, like I said, the appropriate formulation, whether it be the one to, include, you know, include progesterone, testosterone, or, uh, or estradiol. Choose the most appropriate one based upon your, your most troubling symptoms um, and, and let the body now um, let, learn, teach the cells to listen better. You're going to work with the, uh, the cellular listening, what we call cellular communication. You know? Okay. I mean, DHRT is a... Um, is a valid option for you to consider, but even then I say don't don't consider that until after you take care of the, the foundations first and get the cells working better with the um, things uh, in your plant. You know, when you look at the herbal therapies I designed, if you study the labels, you can see some stuff inside that they're like regular herbs that you use in the kitchen, like sage. You know, I put sage inside of all things because sage actually helps with hot flashes and, and mostly night sweats. You know, so I mean, some of these, you know, look at your... The diet, there's a lot more than people realize. You know, lots of herbs, you know, healthy herbs and spices in your diet that can help with proper hormone metabolism, etc. You can pretty much figure out what those are by looking at some of the my bottles. Of course, I use some exotic herbs as well, like Copa Moniera and this type of stuff. But um, a lot can be done with just, um, you know, diet and herbal therapies. Try those things and then, and then look at um, looking at VHRT after you fix the foundation. Okay. Yeah, I do eat a lot of sage, though. I mean, sage and... Celery, I do teas out of those. Celery, because I don't drink any caffeine whatsoever. So I'll do it like a celery tea or a sage tea. And, you know, I kind of mix them up a little bit of both of them. So, I mean, it's just, I, I don't understand why my blood pressure would go from like 158 over 90 or 158 over 100. And then all of a sudden now, like today, it was. 109 over 75. That's part of vasomotor instability. Yeah, check that. Remember that? It's the same thing. The hot flashes, the night sweats, the blood pressure bumps up and down, out palpitation is vasomotor. You may just want to start with the estrogen. That's the one that's going to address the vasomotor instability the most. 
Yeah. And then we can look at the progesterone testament earlier. Watch, I, I would probably sound like, because you have a lot of vasomotor symptoms, it looks like, um, and of course the dry eyes are going to be affected by SMN as well because of the Don Kwai and some of the other herbs inside there, moistened tissues. So it looks like SMN may be your first choice. And then, you know, after, you know, get on a good dose of that and then after a while reevaluate to see if you even need the second and third ones because sometimes you fix the, the primate problem and the secondary problems go away. But the more I'm listening to more, it sounds like SMN is definitely the way to go. Would you agree, Dr. Murphy? Yeah, and I would say, again, I'd just say go to Dr. Collins' website or get his book. I encourage you to definitely get his book. I think it's a great read. But go to the website and take that survey so you can really know what you're doing instead of doing a shotgun approach. Right. Yeah. Really, you know, and if that's not working, you know, it's just like what I do with my patients, whether it's a fibromyalgia patient or it's a diabetic patient. It's laying a healthy foundation, exactly what Dr. Collins has been talking about, and right. then build around that. If you do the shotgun approach, it's expensive. It usually doesn't work. It's frustrating. Um, so you, you lay the foundation, and then if it's working, you leave it alone. You don't you don't mess with it. If it's Absolutely, not, yeah. I would try. I think that would be very beneficial for you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. Okay. Thank you. Uh, so you're, yeah. Thanks for calling in. Sure. Uh, we got any other questions? Anybody else on the line? Anybody else got any questions before we wrap up? Uh, this is Diane. I have a question. Hi, Diane. Go ahead. Um, I had, in the past, bleeding for about two years, uh, about 10 years ago. I'm now 56. And I was wondering, what does that actually do to your body? I'm also a fibromyalgia chronic fatigue patient of 20 years. I'll uh, check out here so you can answer. Dr. Collins, what do you what do you think of that? Whoops, I wonder if we lost him. Joe, you on the line? Well, Diane, we may have lost Dr. Collins. Uh, so your question, can you come back on the line? It starts. Come back on. Diane, you still on? You still on the call? I'm here. Okay. And so your question, uh, I'm not sure if Dr. Collins is, is having trouble with being online or... Hi, Dr. Collins is back. Sorry, I must have pushed the wrong button here. Okay, good. Did you hear Diane's question? What was the question again? Yeah, let's refer, let's do the question. Okay, I'm a fibromyalgia chronic fatigue patient of 20 years, and about 10 years ago I had bleeding constantly for about two years. And I was wondering, what does that actually do to your body and your system? How much stress does that add? And how do you get through being well from there? Well, um, the, the chronic bleeding was definitely a sign that your, your, your body was having trouble keeping the hormones function properly so the tissues didn't, you know, have that chronic bleeding. At the top of the list, obviously, is, is the blood loss could affect us so you become predisposed to anemia. You know, so you may have lost a lot of iron. So those are some things you may want to consider. But as well as that, you know, you lose other trace minerals as well. I know a lot of vitamins like, you know, B12 and folic acid. So, you know, when you deal with a situation where you have a, a chronic illness and then the body has this time of excessive, you know, irregular bleeding, it's very depleting. Like, in, um, you know, some systems of mess, like Chinese medicine would call that, like yin shu, the body's literally depleted, it's exhausted. And 
it needs a lot of nurturing or rebuilding up, renourishment. That doesn't necessarily mean lots of calories. It means lots of nutrition. So, you know, in these types of patients, I would recommend they get a really high dose of, like, B12 and folic acid and, and you know, make sure that they're not anemic anymore, those types of things. So um, it's basically, you know, re-nurturing the body because it's depleted. So one of the things that is, is a very common thread, I'm sure you, you see this too, is that with chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia, it's a problem in regulating the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal, the body's own you know, robot, the autonomic nervous system, which controls, you know, the hormonal system. So it controls exactly. temperature, controls uh, menstruation, all these things. And so when you get a bad case of fibromyalgia or a bad case of chronic fatigue syndrome or you have a mixture of the two, it's not unusual that you have problems with regulating your hormonal system, including um, your, your, the sex hormones. And the heavy bleeding is other signs of more than likely, what would you say, Joe? I mean, you probably got some thyroid issues that were going on. At the could, exactly, the thyroid. But as you mentioned, the, the dysregulation of the hypothalamic pituitary axis, this is why you also see, you know, higher incidence of infertility. Yeah. in patients that have the chronic defile mouth because yeah. to maintain a normal fertility cycle requires proper HPA access. So, you know, I, I think we've all seen patients that have chronic fibromyalgia. You know, the younger women, they really have trouble with fertility issues, and it, it's not because the actual reproductive tissue is not working. It's because the HPA access, hypothalamic pituitary gland, are wrong. So this is why part of a... A nice daily routine of cycle where in the morning you get up and you and you um you know you you have activities that are more strengthens your body. You take your adaptogens, your nutrition there. In the evening, you we've really got to make ourselves calm down. I see more and more people they they run until they go to bed and they expect the body to be able to calm down. It really can't, you know. And, and you don't get the deep sleep. Without deep sleep, you don't get proper hypothalamic pituitary function. That's this is a given. If you want to make someone, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. If, if you want someone to become infertile, don't let them sleep, okay? If you want someone to, to have hypothyroid function, don't let them sleep. You can knock out any hormone by um, by depriving people of deep, healthy, restoring sleep. Absolutely. So a big part of that is putting up a nice ritual of, of proper bedtime, calming down, and getting a good night's sleep. You know, those are issues that are critical to, you know, overcoming these chronic conditions. Okay, do we have any other questions? Oh. Hi, Dr. Murphy, this is Jackie Miller in Arizona. Um, I've got a client that I'm working with that has severe migraines, and we've looked at a, a lot of different things, her sleep patterns and those kind of things. She's young. She's in her uh, late 30s. Uh, but I'm wondering if I'm overlooking the, the premenopause or menopause situation with the headaches. I will again? say, Joe, I don't know about, I don't, she's in her late 30s, you said? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't think perimenopause, but I guess they could show up. Well, in perimenopause, in my questionnaire, I asked one of those other weird questions. Like, I asked about allergies. People thought, what is after the perimenopause? I also asked about headaches. Yeah. Because when, when the hormones become imbalanced, remember, vasomotor instability doesn't always mean hot flashes. It could mean... Remember, the, the migraine is vasomotor instability of the, the blood vessels around the, in, the, in, the, in the cranium, you know. So, so yes, vasomotor instability can contribute to migraines. That's one consideration. But a couple of things that I think can be effective looking at migraines is 
you're probably familiar with the papers that have been written in the past, and people still talk about them, about um, high doses of riboflavin. You know, um, if you look on PubMed, you'll see that the talk will give them like 400 milligrams of riboflavin. It doesn't always help, and some people, that's it. You just give them 400 milligrams of riboflavin a day, and after a while, they don't get headaches anymore. And, you know, that, that, I think that's pretty exciting, and it's so inexpensive. It's like, you know, why not? It ain't going to hurt you. All you'll do is have bright yellow urine, you know. And that thing I find is I've had how many couple of patients where, let me go back, if a patient has a lot of joint pain, like, you know, muscle aches and pains and tendons and ligaments, I'll often encourage them to eat less of the solanine family, less eggplants, bell peppers, tomatoes, uh, because those foods have um, solanine, which is an alkaloid that occurs naturally in those plants. It's not a chemical we made. It's an alkaloid just like nicotine, which is in the same plant family, by the way. And if you eat less of those potatoes, tomatoes, eggplants, and bell peppers, and I mean all peppers from bell to hot peppers, so tomatoes, potatoes, eggplants, and peppers. If so you eat all the nightshade. The nightshade, absolutely. And some of my patients that I was treating for life, when I had them get up of those things, all of a sudden migraines are in the way. And then it's happening again, I'm going, oh, this is interesting. So then I started to put that in my migraine protocol. So what we need to, it, it's again like how you know, Dr. Murphy and I have been talking is, Everyone's unique. Is it the riboflavin? Is it the nightshade? Is it the hormones? You know, try any of them. No one's going to suffer from a nightshade deficiency. So I don't see any problem with telling them to get off the nightshade, take riboflavin, and let's work with their sleep and see if they have any vagal motor instability. They may need estimate, and those things are going to make a difference. Um, okay, thank you. Becky, when, you know, just as far as hormonal, though, at that age, if she's, if the patient is having problems with her uh, menstrual cycle and progesterone, yeah. you know one thing you just do is you just uh, I'm, just, uh, I'm sure you, you may have already done this but you just do a saliva test and you check to see what her levels are throughout the menstruation, the menstruation cycle uh, and so you see if there's any estrogen dominance or, or progesterone dominance and you see or is there any you know bottoming out that could be triggering those headaches that are tied to the menstrual um, Absolutely. So, if, you know, for hormonally, if you hadn't did that, that for headaches, what I like, uh, Dr. Collins, is I really like to make sure I make sure they have plenty of magnesium. You know, for yeah. natural muscle relaxer, eighty percent of the population is deficient in it, and so I want to make sure they get plenty of magnesium. The other thing I really like is a herb called butter bar, uh, yes. or pedidolix, which is a good bit of research on that. It's not a slam dunk. And that's the thing about migraines. There's really nothing out there that's a, uh, a slam dunk. Riboflavin or B2 is very good. Feed review may be helpful. I, I like magnesium quite a bit. Even CoQ10 at 100 milligrams a day may be helpful. But, but butter bar has, for me, proven to be the most effective over-the-counter headache remedy um, that I've found. What, what is it? What are you saying? Butter bar? Butter bar. It's an herb. It's B-U-T-T. E-R-B-U-R, Butter Bar. Uh, you can find it in health food stores. Oftentimes, I think it's called Petadolix. P-E-T-A-D-O-L-E-X, Petadolix. Okay. Okay, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Let's see, any other questions before we wrap up? Anybody else on the line got a question? I have a question. My name's Yvonne. Hey, Nancy. No, it's Yvonne. Oh, Yvonne, I'm sorry. That's okay, and it really is a question concerning my husband. Um, concerning, He's been taking bioidentical testosterone 
for oh, probably about four or five years. He's in his early 70s. And he has seen um, a great response to it. But I also see where, as he takes his test, you know, testosterone tests and that, a lot of times um, it's almost like he's suffering from low, but his tests show that he's very high. And then we just got a report that, I mean, his, pro, um, his prostate has started to enlarge, which he hasn't ever had. It was, it was always just a normal size. It just started right. to enlarge, and I think it's connected with all the testosterone. What can he take right. instead? Well, um, a lot of, uh, in my work with men that need, um, that we give testosterone placement therapy, one of the common problems is they don't feel the dosage as much, so they wind up getting more and more dosages. And, and then all of a sudden, so they, they get like what you call testosterone resistance, you know. Yes. You know, we've heard about insulin resistance. You know, we, we have plenty of insulin in the body resistance. You can have estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and thyroid resistance. So what I do when I put men on testosterone placement therapy is I try and use the lowest dose possible, and I also, you know, use the herbal therapy so that they feel the testosterone better, but we're not hitting them with such a big dose. Now, what type of testosterone is he getting? Is he getting injections? Is he getting a cream or a tablet or what? It's a cream that he's been taking. Okay. okay. How often does he take it? He takes it twice a day, morning and then evening. Okay. Do you know how many milligrams it is? Oh. Yeah, you know, I don't know, but um, I have a feeling it's been too high. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I also do is this, and this is actually physiologically um, based. In the normal testosterone function, testosterone high in the morning, low at night. Okay, so I would never give testosterone twice a day. It is not how we were designed naturally. Our testosterone is high in the morning. It has to get low at night because when it, when it drops down at the end of the day, you know, and you get more relaxed and you get ready to sleep, stuff like that, that's when you get, that's when the receptors start opening up and going, hey, where's the testosterone? Where's the testosterone? And then, you know, the next day you give a testosterone, they go, oh, there's testosterone, they feel great. If you give testosterone twice a day, then you basically, you shut down the receptors. You cause testosterone resistance because the receptors are never get a chance to come up. They're always, the more hormones the body has, the less receptors it's going to try to keep functioning. So if we keep pouring testosterone into the body, then you have resistance. So the, the normal circadian rhythm, a 25 rhythm testosterone, is the number one important thing to, to, to pay attention to with um, testosterone placement therapy in men. I think that may be our biggest problem here. So he should probably talk to his doctor or make a decision and talk to his doctor about um, taking the testosterone only once a day in the morning and let his receptors down-regulate. Let, let the levels go up and then down so his prostate is not being bathed inside these high amounts of testosterone. Even when he was a teenager with all those high testosterone levels we have back then, he didn't have high testosterone levels 24 hours a day. They were high in the morning, and as the, night, as the day went on, when it went to evening, the levels got low. His prostate got some rest. It's not getting any rest now. You know what? Is that helpful? It's very helpful because I always said I felt like he had a resistance in some way to this. And you That's just how you get resistance. If you want to cause resistance, give a hormone too much times and... Never give the body a rest, and you'll, you'll cause resistance. And you answered, in fact, you answered that. Should he, though, take anything like supplemental or anything like that? I supplemental can be very helpful. Um, the, one of the, what I do with, uh, when I treat men with really bad prostate problems and prostate cancers is test the quench. 
Now, testing quench was designed by practice. For both men and women, they have too much testosterone problems. If you take the tested quench, that will calm down the extra testosterone right away. It will protect his um, prostate. But the thing is, it's really going to, it will neutralize his testosterone, as will sarcomeno. Uh, the tested quench has sarcomeno plus other ones. So if he wants to kind of give the liver a break, take like maybe one tested quench at night to let his testosterone levels drop at night the way it's supposed to and let his prostate have a little break from all that testosterone function. Try it just for a little while, and then eventually, uh, once he's on testosterone once a day, um, and then test the quench once a night for a few weeks, then he should probably, um, he probably need to test the quench anymore once he gets his rhythm back. Okay. You know, just kind of let the body calm down, then start the test the quench, and then he'll feel his testosterone better in the morning. So um, that's how I would do it. Now, during this time of trying to, you know, fix the mess, when he takes the high test, takes testosterone in the morning and tests the quench at night, for a little bit of time he's going to feel the low testosterone. If he's going to feel a little bit less libido and stuff, why will then things get better? But then when he stops the test and quench at night, he's going to feel that testosterone normally. He's going to have high testosterone more normal night. He's going to feel it again. But we need to go through this like cleansing time. And then again, the stuff that Dr. Murphy and I talked about: lifestyle, healthy diet, regular bowel movements, fruits and vegetables. Um, you know, flaxseed, calves, cauliflower, broccoli, all those things can help as well. One thing to consider with men is it isn't just the te high testosterone that affects the prostate, it's the estrogen. Testosterone can, gets converted to estrogen if it's too high, then the estrogen hurts the prostate. So he should be on an estrogen detox program, which would include lots of calves, cauliflower, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, flaxseed, and fish oil, and all those things, okay? Okay. Well, you've really helped me. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Yvonne. And again, Yvonne um, and everyone listening, you know, go to Dr. Collins' website, yourmenopausetype.com, and there's information in all the herbal formulations that he's developed. You can read in detail. It's very well thought out, uh, these formulas are, and that you can read in detail about them as well as take the questionnaire to see what is your, your menopause type. Okay, let's see. Can we take uh, another question? Anybody else on the line? Yeah, hi, my name is Marion, and um, I'm a 52-year-old woman. Hi, Mary. Yeah, hi. Um, what my question is, I, I guess I'm, I'm just beginning um, perimenopause, I, I guess that's what you would call it. Um, I had all of a sudden, just one day I woke up with extreme anxiety mm -hmm. and um, unbearable. I mean, I've never experienced it like that. And it persisted for about two months, and also during that two months, I never had a period. Then it started going away, and I got my period. Mm -hmm. And um, what I'm wondering, I, it was recommended I take black cohosh, so I did. But my question is, how do I know if it was just that my cycle was coming back in balance, or if it was the black cohosh that really helped? Or what do I do during this time of um, on again, off again type type um, period in my life? Yeah. So you're still in the perimenopause period where you you miss your periods for a while, then you have periods again, and you know you may go back and forth a couple of times until all of a, until the body's finished, then you won't have any cycles and any periods anymore. During this time of perimenopause, it, it's a great time to to really 
you know, um, support the boys through this change here. All the foundations that we've already talked about a few times here, make sure you definitely pay attention to those. Take the questionnaire online, and it will tell you what your predisposition is. It will say you're more predisposed towards having, like, progesterone deficiency, and then, um, which it sounds like that. Usually when you see um, severe yeah. anxiety attacks, um, progesterone, it could be either, or it could be, I've seen that with low progesterone function, with adrenal glands not function properly. Yeah. And the progesterone is very calming and soothing. So that may help with that. But take the questionnaire because, you know, the reality is there's a lot of symptoms that happens during perimenopause, but, we don't, but many times she'll only mention the, the one or two top ones that are bother her the most. But when we ask her 50 questions and we pick out all these other little symptoms, then we get the big picture. And then you see the big picture and you get to see, wow, it's actually testosterone. It's actually this or that, you know. And one thing I'll say to everyone that's listening today is, Pardon me? Um, I was going to say, actually, while we were talking, I took the questionnaire while I was listening, and I came up with menopause type 5. So menopause type 5 is um, low estrogen, low testosterone. Okay, so that may be, you now testosterone has to do with, um, as far as neurologically, testosterone has to do with mood, motivation, drive, confidence, okay? If testosterone gets low, people more fearful, they're more anxious, if it gets really low, then you hear these women that they're afraid of going outside, they just, you know, they want to kind of isolate themselves and they pull away from family and friends. Um, so testosterone does have that neurological effect. Estradiol has a lot to do with um, um, the ability of the body to tolerate stress, okay, stress response. If a woman has low estradiol, then her body will not be able to tolerate stressors, things that didn't affect her at all. A year ago, all of a sudden, they're really annoying or really scary to her, okay? And the literature shows that even the immune system's ability to tolerate stuff and the nervous system can't tolerate demands as much. So these two are both um, together, they help the body tolerate demands on the body. Now, that doesn't mean just bad stress, it means good stress, you know. The fun everyday things you like to do, all of a sudden they become burdensome and the normal daily routine that you can put up with, all of a sudden it's freaking out and it's making you anxious because you don't have the estrogen testosterone. So those are going to be the ones to consider. And one thing I want to share with you and the rest of the group has been listening is, as you take the question, if you have any questions, you can, my email address is on the website. You can email us and tell me your patient, Dr. Murphy's in, and I'll kind of, you know, get you some, I'll answer any other questions you have and I'll toss them back to him and we'll kind of, um, you know, give you that team approach, okay? I don't want you to feel like you're not going to be supported with that, okay? And Dr. Murphy also knows that, you know, I mean, a lot of us doctors, we call each other for advice all the time, so um, we'll help you all through this, okay? But it sounds like it's one of those two. It's your estrogen and testosterone, and of course the foundation we talked about. It's pretty classic what you're experiencing, ma'am, um, during this perimenopause period. The body's trying to find stability again, so it's not uncommon. Very interesting and enlightening it, it validates why you don't want to jump to any conclusions because typically when you see the anxiety, when you hear that in a patient, most doctors, including myself, just then was thinking low progesterone. And right. you took that questionnaire and you found that you were low in estrogen and even more importantly, you found that you were low in that testosterone and that was really the key. So yeah. I can't overemphasize uh, really taking the questionnaire and knowing exactly what you need to do rather than just try to wing it, which uh, so many people try to do or so many doctors try to do. 
Right, it could be She'd ask a good example. She went through 50 questions. She only told us one or two symptoms. Yeah. But that question, they asked her lots of questions, and then, she, and then they mathematically figured it out and said, statistically, this is what she has. Yeah. And to get that score, she had to have at least 50% of estrogen deficiency symptoms and at least 50% of testosterone deficiency symptoms. So it's not like a barely. It's like you had over, you had at least half of the symptoms. So um, again, the big picture is always, always gives you more information than the small picture. Isn't that right, Doc? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's see. We'll take another question. We're just about to wrap up tonight, so if you got a question, please uh, let's take it now. Hi, my name is Patty. Hey, Patty. Hi. Uh, I uh, took. Uh, I went online and listened to your adrenal and high thyroid. Uh, uh, conference, uh -huh. Yeah, the web conference. Con uh -huh. And I think I'm low in light thyroid. I've been going four days, and it's 97.7 on four days. And okay. the iodine is gone after about three hours on my test. So okay. I'm wondering if that can re if that relates to the fact that I've been having hot flashes for 15 years. I've uh, I take progesterone. Uh, the natural one, and I also uh, take—I used to take bioidentical, but I quit because that didn't wasn't really doing any, doing any good. And I'm wondering if uh, those two are related somehow. We'll see, Joe. Uh, let me put my two cents in, and I'll let you answer. Um, thyroid is, in my opinion, you know, it's the master gland, uh, or thyroid hormone is the master hormone. I mean, it really controls everything in the body, every cell. And so if it's not working correctly, everything suffers. Now, having said that, all the hormones work together. So if you've, if you've got any of the hormones out of whack, they're all going to have like a domino effect. Um, they could be separate. I mean, you could have two separate issues. You could have the, the, um, the hot flashes uh, uh, separate to low thyroid. I mean, it sounds like you have low thyroid. If your temperature is running 97.8 or below, and I guess you're taking that, uh, under the tongue digitally, or if you're taking under the arm. Uh, under the arm. Okay. I mean, it sounds, and then your iodine, it sounds like your iodine deficient as well. So, my, I mean, I would, I would um, just quickly say I think you got some low thyroid issues for sure. Can that, can that accelerate and make the sex hormones um, out of whack? Absolutely. And, yes. and progesterone plays a role in that. Uh, if you've got too much estrogen, that can shut down your thyroid. So if you're estrogen dominant, and that could be why you couldn't take the hormone replacement therapy in the past. So, Joe, you want to comment on that? Well, I would agree with that. You know, it's, people understand, you know, I mean, we're talking about pieces here, but always remember these hormones always work together. Oh, we yeah. talk about our estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. They calm each other. you got to look at which one is the biggest problem and try and work on that. The same with thyroid. If a person is hypothyroid, that means every tissue in the body is functioning below its optimal level. That means that the ovaries are functioning below the optimal level. That means that the, um, um, you know, the hypothalamic pituitary gland. So it's funny, like people try to say they can measure thyroid function when I look at the TSH. And I say, well, how do you know the TSH is active if the hypothyroid? Because the pituitary gland is also functioning weaker. So it's very important to look at the big picture. Look at the thyroid hormones. Look at the, the level of body's function. Um, when I'm, and I'm glad you brought this up, Doctor, because um, we haven't talked about this much because I know you've been taking care of the thyroid problem. You know, I've been focused on the estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, 
But whenever I work with my patients on um, on PHRT, one of the first things I'll do also is I will test thyroid function because if they're hypothyroid, PHRT ain't going to work. It, it's a given, okay? If you're hypothyroid, a lot of things aren't going to work, okay? <laughs> so I'm glad that you, 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 you teach your patients to pay attention to that. That's the yeah. insulin resistance, diabetes, all that stuff. Yeah. And that's probably what you ran into is that the hormone replacement therapy didn't work because of the hypothyroid. Um, and then if you got some adrenal, and, and then that would make sense that you got some adrenal issues as well. Well, the eye test with the flashlight, I, I was fine on that one. So I didn't yeah, good. do the blood pressure one, though. I'm sorry, you haven't done it or you did? I'm sorry. I did not do the blood pressure one. The oh. eye one was fine, though. Yeah, well, so maybe, you, you know, you are good on the adrenal, so that's good. But, uh, yeah, I would, uh, I'm not sure what you're, it's getting late. What was your question about? Um, so you, you should probably, um, you know, address your thyroid. And then what I would recommend you take you is that you um, laser in and do the, the uh, natural hormone placement therapy remedies that Dr. Collins has on his site. Yeah. What you may want to do is, is sometimes if people have a lot of problems like this, I'll say take it to the thyroid. Work on the thyroid um, program that Dr. Murphy has you on for a month. Let that all get stabilized a little bit. Then go back and um, check the um, the menopause type questionnaire, and you'll get a good picture because you've already started to shore up the thyroid function. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Do you need to take that uh, thyroid low thyroid um, medication forever? Uh, no, not forever. I mean, what you're trying to do is your thyroid to kick in, and you can do that several ways. One, by giving it some help with some external thyroid or thyroid precursors, the things that help you make thyroid or convert um, T4 into the active T3. So that's one way, but also making sure you're getting good good night's sleep. You're taking care of your body nutritionally with a good multivitamin, central fatty acid. All the things that allow the body to, to be able to rest. I mean, what brings on hypothyroid is chronic stress that finally takes its toll on the body, and the body just says, hey, I can't help you anymore. And when that happens, it's just it's one thing after another starts to show up. It's low adrenal function. It's low thyroid. It's uh, problems with the menstruation cycle. It's, it's all these things is a domino effect. So anything you can do to lighten the stress load on your body. Well, the hot flashes keep waking me up. <laughs> yeah, that's why I think I think you should address, I agree with Dr. Collins, you should address your thyroid first um, because, again, you want to do one thing at a time. I think if you do a shotgun approach, it, it's, it's, it's number one, it's expensive, number, and number two, it's confusing, and you, you tend to uh, increase the risk of having side effects. Even if it's natural, you may have some adverse reaction and then you don't know what, what to stop, what to take. And so you always want to lay your foundation first. I would address the low thyroid issue and oftentimes that improves so many other things. I see that with my with my fibromyalgia patients um, and my adrenal fatigue patients. If they will address the underlying issues uh, for fibromyalgia, it's that deep restorative sleep. For adrenal fatigue patients, it's that low adrenal function. If they'll address those First, then a lot of these other symptoms, which are all over the board, hot flashes, migraine headaches, chemical sensitivity, fatigue, um, anxiety, oppression, all these things that show up with those conditions, those just tend to go away. That would be so, great. <laughs> so address your first, good. 
And then if you find in a month, hey, you know what, I'm still having these hot flashes, then add the herbal hormone replacement therapies after you do the survey, and, and then from there, see if you don't put all the pieces of the puzzle together. Okay. I thank you very much. Great. Okay, right. we're going to take one more question, then we're going to call it quits for tonight. Dr. Murphy, I have a very quick question. Um, I have some confusion. My name is Dee. I have a um, confusion. I've had uh, Hashimoto's thyroid um, condition, and now it's hypothyroid. But my question is, I've heard that um, we're not supposed to eat broccoli or cauliflower if you have, or soy if you have a thyroid condition because they're um, thyroid um, inhibiting or suppressive. Is that true? And, and um, how do, what do you do when you're wanting to take whole food supplements and those things are in there? Um, Joe, you want to answer that? Well, the, the, some of the stuff, some of the, what, the biggest concern we had with soy was when they were given whole soy extracts to infants, they, that's, what, that's when they saw the, the goitrogenic properties, okay? And that's, you know, usually what we first observed that. In, in substance studies, what they've come to conclude was that if you're going to be taking foods that um, have substances that can bind to iodine, that's how they cause the problems is the, the soy can bind to the, the iodine and kind of make you iodine deficient. So if you're already living in an environment where you don't get enough iodine in your diet, then you start eating lots of soy and all these things, you can like having a goiter. That being said, look at the cultures that eat lots of soy and then look what else you're eating, okay? We don't see, you know, tons of thi uh, hypothyroidism. We don't see everyone hypothyroidism in Japan when they eat soy on a daily basis in the old culture because they had a lot of seafood and, and seaweed in their diet, okay? So what we understand now with my talent patients, you know, is make sure you get regular iodine in your diet. So like the thyroid, the thyroid formulations that we do, most thyroid support formulations include some seaweed or some, you know, low-dose iodine to support that, all right? Mm -hmm. uh, again, the most important thing is when you have cabbage, cough, or broccoli, Brussels sprouts, flaxseed, or soy, any of these things that could bind to the iodine, they're, they're going to be a problem in an iodine-deficient individual. One paper said that it's, it's the iodine-deficient individual that has problems eating soy, not the person that has enough iodine in their diet. Mm -hmm. So what I say is if you're going to eat those things, you know, use more seaweed and kelp and, um, and seafood, this type of stuff, and we're not seeing those problems. And when you're looking at broccoli and cauliflower and that, the same? Uh, exactly. Make sure you're getting some iodine in your diet so you don't have that property. Okay. The reason this is important because... Uh, Cowfire, broccoli, brussels, all those things. Um, well, one thing is also, I, I was reading someone saying that if you cook the broccoli, you're not going to have some as much of that iodine binding. It's not going to be as anti-thyroid for you, okay? Right. But you, so cooking the broccoli is better for the thyroid, and you're still going to get the endothecarbonol. The endothecarbonol is the molecule that um, helps prevent you from having toxic estrogens. You know, estrogens have to be broken down into a non-toxic pathway, and the, and the endolphic carbonyl helps it happen. And you get that from the cabbage cough or broccoli, Brussels sprouts, but also flaxseed and fish oil. So if people are nervous about, you know, eating soy or cauliflower or broccoli and Brussels sprouts, I'll say, well, then eat flaxseed and fish oil. I, I think it's wonderful that, you know, there's so many different choices out there. I know some people that they hate broccoli and cauliflower. They never eat it because there's taste. 
I said, well, then you can take on, you know, how about fish oil? They said, well, they'll take lots of fish oil because they need it anyway for eczema. Fish oil will also help with um, with estrogen metabolism. The high amounts of EPA will help. The flaxseed will help. Um, so those things. Uh, rosemary, uh, a wonderful herb, will help as well. So it's always nice to know we have choices, not just because of, you know, we're concerned about our unique nutritional needs based upon, you know, um, the thyroid, if, you, if, you, if you're still concerned about that, but just by taste and that type of stuff, you know. Right. So if you have concerns, go with high fish oil and flaxseed and rosemary, and you should be fine. It's the same benefit. Okay. But I just really miss those things in my diet. Diet and, and being able to eat, like, the cauliflower and broccoli. Um, you can eat those. The problem is, is, is it's in excesses. You know, a lot of this stuff is, there was a paper years ago that came out of Hawaii that said, uh uh-uh, eating too much soy causes Alzheimer's. And we're all going, what are you talking about, you know? And it's like it was, they basically did some people that already had disease and they gave them extremely high amounts of soy and threw all the nutrition off balance, you know, so the paper was pretty much criticized and booed up by the scientific community. But you can make anything look like it's dangerous if you give it in, in an imbalanced diet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the classic way for a healthy diet is what? A rotation diet. You know, don't eat the same food day right. after day after day. Right. Number one, if you do that, you're going to wind up being allergic to it. Then you're really going to be miserable, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, variety. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. welcome. And so, you know, to recap on that, you, you know, basically, yeah, those foods, the cruciferous vegetables, the broccoli, cabbage, uh, cauliflower, and soy, both of those block... Uh, thyroid peroxidase, so they block the effectiveness of the thyroid from working. But, and I, and I think you would agree with me, Dr. Collins, unless you're eating tons of that, uh, if you're addressing your thyroid either with prescription medication or over-the-counter herbal extracts that, uh, that we both recommend in our practices, you're probably not going to be doing yourself uh, any harm by eating those foods. And especially, I think, D, your, your concern with whole food uh, supplements. That right. You, right. That's just not going to be a problem at all. I wouldn't worry about that. Um, there's just not enough in there. Now, if you were living on tofu and miso soup and uh, drinking soy milk three times a day and eating soy bar, yeah. that's what you lived on, then, you know, I'd say, hey, you're probably not doing yourself any favors. But um, otherwise, I wouldn't. You, you, it's more stressful worrying about it is right. than it is anything else. Right. Thank yeah, are you on thyroid medicine right now, ma'am? What's that? Are you, are you on thyroid medication? Yes, I am. I was on Armour Thyroid for a long time and still was not improving. I mean, I was on it for years, and so my doctor ended up putting me on uh, some Synthroid and some um, Armour. So oh, yeah. I still have not found my balance yet. We're still working on it. Um, well, the herbal therapies, you know, like um, Dr. Murphy can talk about the herbal therapies that we have that, that open up thyroid receptor function, those types of things can be ambitious for that. Well, the reality is if, you, if you're already taking exogenous thyroid, then, then the cabbage and cauliflower can't interfere with your body making it. Oh, okay. Because you're already getting it, so we'll have some broccoli then, you know. Right, right Dr. Murphy? Yep, you're getting around it. It interferes with the production. Not, it's not going to destroy the pill. It, it makes it so it's hard for the body to make thyroid. Right. If you have to take exogenous thyroid anyway, then it, it's not going to hurt you. Well, I was thinking it and, would, it would um, somehow interrupted the uptake of it. Right, but remember the, the insulin resistance. Remember thyroid resistance, the high amounts of fish oils. Uh, rosemary also helps with thyroid receptor function. This, if, you, if your T3 and T4 levels are within normal range and you still feel hypothyroid, 
then you have anxiety receptor resistance. And the, the things that Dr. Murphy and I talk about, the, the fatty acids, the vitamins, the specific herbal therapies, those are things that will make your body listen to the thyroid. It's the same as I talk about the other hormones. We want the body to listen to the thyroid hormones that it's being given. You know, it's not just the hormone levels, it's the listening. So it's, we're dealing with resistance, and those are things that they can help with there. Thank you. I appreciate that. I missed most of the call, so I, I'll have to go back and look at your uh, questionnaire and, and listen to this um, taping back. Good. Great. Okay. Uh, Dr. Collins, I want to thank you for being joining us tonight. I want to have you come back, and we'll do a, we'll do a thing on thyroid. I know that's uh, something we both have a passion for as well, and uh, I think we've probably got questions that didn't get answered tonight, so we'll have to put you back in the lineup and do some more on uh, on hormone replacement therapy. For those of you who are listening in and uh, didn't catch the website, please go to Dr. Collins' website, yourmenopausetype.com, and there you can take uh, you can find information about how to self-diagnose what type of menopause um, category you're in, so what's the best therapy for you. You can also find out more about his book, your Discover Your Menopause Type, available there on the website, as well as Amazon.com. And you can also find out about the herbal remedies that Dr. Collins has developed over the years, which, again, these are not your, you know, this is not some uh, shotgun, Don um, this and, you know, Chase uh, Berry, that. I mean, this is stuff that he's developed over the years that's sold by physicians as well as pharmacies around the country, I guess the world now. Uh, so this is pretty um, right on scientific, clinically backed stuff that, uh, you know, if you're interested in, I, I'd encourage you to check that out. Um, I would I'd like to invite you to join me in a couple of weeks, the first Tuesday of every month. I do a call-in show, and if you get my emails, you'll get an update. Uh, it's usually on fibromyalgia, but if you know anything about fibromyalgia, you know that encompasses just about everything. Well, that's inside anxiety and depression, uh, poor sleep, chronic pain, low thyroid, all those. In two weeks, I'm going to be discussing uh, uh, GI disorders, uh, focusing in on leaky gut syndrome, chronic pain, allergies, and yeast overgrowth. So I hope you'll join me in a couple of weeks. Be Stay tuned for the email that you'll get, and uh, thanks for joining us. Dr. Joe, thanks a million for being here tonight. I hope you have a good evening. Thank you, Dr. Harvey. Stay well. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye.